0: I'm Nick Newson, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler on tonight's episode. We will cover the major news that happened this week out of Tuscaloosa. Nick Saban is retiring from the sport of college football, uh, set up massive ripple effects across college football, and we'll dive into what those were, how those impacted the program and other programs along the way that Florida shares a lot of ties to. Uh, And we'll wrap up with some quick hits revolving the last week and a half here of Gators News. Will, how's it going, man?
1: It's going well, man. It's uh, it's off season, obviously, so things slow down. Now we got our national champion in Michigan, and we got uh, you know obviously the news out of Alabama. So things changing rapidly in college football, not just from a conference and a team perspective. And hey, man, it's a it's a brave new world. Twelve team tournament coming up this year, and then uh, obviously the two new members, Oklahoma and Texas, coming into the SEC, as well as some of the teams from the Pac-12. Going into the Big Ten. So, completely different, uh,
0: completely different feel heading into 2024. Hopefully, that means good things for the Gators. Well, we're also turning the page over here into 2024, right? So, we got, like you said, Michigan national champion, uh, pretty much in control most of that game against Washington. I know Washington stuck around, made it interesting, but the Wolverines get it done with Jim Harbaugh, uh, official end to the 2023 football season, college football season. We're looking forward here into 2024. Well, one of the things that we do every offseason uh is to create a read and reaction magazine, but we have some other opportunities we want to talk to folks about.
1: Yeah, so I mean, like you said, we, we've released a Gators preseason magazine the past two years. Um, at first, we released a digital version, and because so many people asked for it, last year we offered a hard copy. Felt like that was really successful. Um, we did give out a few copies to folks outside of the Florida bubble, and the feedback was pretty universal. They the, the feedback was, I wish I had one of these for my team. So that's where we're headed. Our goal is to have one of these magazines for every Power 5 team out there in five years. And that's not a small undertaking. And, and to get there, the reason we're talking about is we need your help. So we know that some of, list, some of you listening own businesses that advertise. We also know that advertising with us might be considered a risk. But consider this. The revenue we're getting from advertisers is going to be used to make sure that every Gator fan with a Facebook account knows that this magazine is available. The magazine's timing is a release before Father's Day, really making it a perfect gift. Sons for their dads, sons for their grandpas, daughters for their dads. And it's the type of content that sits in the doctor's or dentist's office for months, meaning you're getting a return on your investment beyond the initial launch, right? That that it until the first kickoff happens against Miami, and quite honestly, even afterwards, if you want to call us idiots for what we wrote, the magazine has an awful lot – a long shelf life. Um, and look, we're going to remember the people who advertised with us when it was a risk, when we have 65 schools that are covered with this magazine and and we're really determined to make this thing grow. And so you, you guys, the listeners, the readers can be an integral part of it. So just, you know, I was thinking about this and imagine how cool it'll be in 2029 when we're launching our ACC line of magazines or whatever that conference ends up being when Florida State decides to nuke it. <laughs> and you've been an integral part of building that. And I was just thinking about having Nick Knudsen being interviewed on ESPN in a few years and us being able to give a shout out to your business as being there from the start. So, um, look, to get a copy of our pricing and media kit, you can email me at will at dot com. If you don't own a business, but you still want to help with our vision, you can help by first buying the magazine when it comes out, but also by becoming a supporter over on Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash read and reaction. And we're going to be sharing exclusive looks at the magazine as we progress this spring for anyone supporting us at the $5 a month amount or more. So it's a great place if you want to see how the magazine's coming along, how it all comes together, and certainly a place where we can interface with the people who who consider themselves our fans. So, you know, look, I'd be remiss if I didn't take this time while I'm asking for help to also say thank you. Each and every one of you who's listened to our podcast, read our articles, emailed support, or supported us by joining Patreon already or buying the magazine the last couple of years has given us faith that this is something we can build. We need your help, but we also think this is a differentiated product that that we think can transform the way college football previews are done and we'd be really humbled if you join us on that journey. So thanks so much. Appreciate you listening to the to the ad read here. And and if there's an opportunity for us to work together, we we would love it because there'd be nothing better than a bunch of Gator fans helping us build this up into something that is beyond just Gator Nation, but started here in Gator Nation. You know, like Gatorade, it started it started out as uh, as coming out of Gainesville, and now it's ubiquitous everywhere. Hopefully, read and reaction has thought of that. You know, four or five years from now. Yeah.
0: yeah well, this is. Something that for someone who isn't as familiar with the magazine, what is the difference? There's a lot of college football preview magazines every year. What's the difference between a Read and Reaction preview magazine versus any other college football magazine?
1: Yeah, so the difference is the Read and Reaction magazine is 70 pages of just your team. So the Florida magazine is 70 pages specific to the Florida Gators. And certainly there's some stuff in there about Georgia and Alabama and stuff like that in terms of the context of how it matters to Florida. But if you pick up a Lindy's or you pick up a Phil Steele magazine or something like that, those are all great magazines, but you got maybe a page, maybe two pages for your specific team. So you learn a little bit about your roster, maybe kind of prepares you for who's leaving and who's coming, but nowhere near as comprehensive. And one of the things that I think we, we believe is that people who are out here listening to the podcast, Podcasts and reading articles and really the college football diehards are interested in going beyond just that. So last year's magazine had film studies like plays to watch for where we broke down plays, you could actually scan in the QR code and go to the play on YouTube and see the play while it was and it was diagrammed in the magazine. You had a great feature where you were looking at recruiting maps and where the recruits come from. You had a great feature that I think turned out pretty prescient in terms of the transfer portal and how the transfer portal has been a place historically to sort of supplement your roster but not build it. Obviously, with the transfer portal now, that's changing. So we'll be taking a look at that this year and seeing how that has changed. And then it's, it's a place where we make predictions on who we think the all SEC players will be and which guys from Florida. I think the last couple of years we've had sort of percentages in terms of who we thought would be all SEC players. What was necessary to get Florida to a winning record and get Florida sort of over the hump where they've been stuck the last few years with Billy Napier. And I'm sure this year we'll have a lot of content on look what Napier needs to do. A lot of previews on DJ Lagway, what he did in high school, those sorts of things as well. So again, this isn't something that you give somebody who just wants to read a page, but it also is bathroom content, right? It's the kind of thing you can pick up, read a page, pick it up a couple of days later, read another page. It's not like a novel you got to go all the way through, but but we we I think you and I were the first time we put it out, we're sort of like um, you know, we we weren't quite sure how it was going to be received and then last year we were pretty confident that it was a really really nice product that was put out there we just weren't very good at distributing it <laughs> so so i was sitting there you know putting the things in envelopes and and self addressing the envelopes and and sending them out and so there were some delays and we needed people to to um, pre order and those sorts of things we're trying to avoid that and really that's what we're going to be using the funds for is making sure that we've got our distribution channels all set up so that we're not limited in terms of how many we can sell. The goal is to sell five or six thousand magazines this year coming up. Um, that's the goal, um, and we'll see whether we can achieve that. But certainly, you folks out there can help us do that if you feel so inclined, and and would love to have you reach
0: out to us if you do. Yeah, we believe in we believe in this product, but one of the reasons we do believe in it is because we've received tremendous support for these last couple of years. So I know Will said it, but I want to echo it, so I'm saying it too. Really grateful for everybody out there that has supported this endeavor so far, and we will be releasing a 2024 preseason magazine coming out. And we usually target Memorial Day. Will right? We're, we're shooting for Memorial Day. That tends to be the the date because we like to have that out before Father's Day. So keep an eye out for further announcements. Like Will said, if you have any, if you want any further information about advertising, please give me your email. Will. Will at read and reaction.com.
1: Um, or if you go over to at will miles sec on X, formerly Twitter, you can direct message me there and, and I'll get back to you.
0: All right. Well, good start there, Will. Let's uh, dive into the tectonic move that just rocked the sport. Forget the fact in pro football, we had Pete Carroll and Bill Belichick making moves last week, too. So a lot of figures from the football world of the last couple decades making moves this past week. But Nick Saban, he let Michigan enjoy about, what, what do we got, 36 hours uh, of the limelight before he took over? Michigan leads from start to finish. Harbaugh breaks through, gets the title. Bo Schembechler, the legendary Wolverine coach, never won a title. Harbaugh gets it done as former quarterback. And like I said, the Wolverines, they enjoyed – 36 hours of the limelight before saving rock college football by announcing his retirement after 17 seasons at Alabama. Throughout his career, seven national titles, six at Bama, 11 SEC championships, nine at Bama, 13 consecutive seasons of 11 and 2 or better. 10 or more wins 16 times in 17 seasons. He went 10 and 3 in 2010 and then only lost three or more games. That first season, so two times in in 17 seasons did he lose three or more games. Two undefeated seasons, four Heisman winners, Ingram, Henry, Smith, and Young. Nick Saban did not have a losing record across his 28-year career and produced 49 first-round NFL draft picks. Saban dominated the sport uh, as much as I, I love college football and it's always sad to see a legend go. But there's part of your will where this just creates a lot of space. And it's not to say Alabama's going to go anywhere, right? Alabama's Alabama. And, and they're going to be, they're always going to be a good program. But this creates a void in college football like we have not seen in some time. And it's going to be fascinating to see what happens go for, going forward. But let's keep the focus on Saban for a minute. Unbelievable career. Complete legend. Best to ever. Do it. There's so much you could say about him. Hangs it up and he'll be hanging around the program, but not expecting to see Nick Saban on a college football sideline again.
1: No, I mean, I think you leave Alabama because you're, you're done. Right. And he, and he sort of indicated that that was it. He didn't have the, didn't have the energy at 72 to give what he thought he could have given a decade ago. Right. And so it was time for him to walk away. And, and, you know, certainly on the recruiting trail, it didn't seem like that energy had been, had been dissipated at all. But look, yes, from the standpoint of – so first off, from a Sabin perspective, the guy changed the way college football was run. But his whole process – and you know, I have been talking about this now for a few months when we've been talking about Napier and what does he do that's differentiated – and the thing about Napier or the thing about Saban is nobody was doing the process and the apparatus around recruiting before Nick Saban came into Alabama now Kirby Smart I think has taken a lot of those things and sort of applied them and maybe even amplified them in some cases but Saban is the first guy who really came in and said look recruiting is the major edge and if I beat everybody doing that then I'm going to be able to build a behemoth at this particular place, and he was able to build the funds and the funding and all the different stuff that was necessary in order to do that at Alabama. And I'm look, Alabama is kind of an easy place to win if you're if you've got the kind of hype that Saban did coming in from the Miami Dolphins. At the same time, you got to execute, and and Saban was able to do that. You know, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago looking at sort of the the cream of the crop in the SEC, and the big thing was is that they avoided one score games. Spurrier, Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, and then Urban Meyer are the four who've really sort of avoided the one-score games overall. But Spurrier, in non-one-score wins, was only won eighty-seven percent, and only quote-unquote. Smart's won ninety-one percent. Meyer won eighty-eight percent. Saban won ninety-six percent of his games. So basically, when it was either close and Alabama lost by a touchdown or less, or they beat them by, by more than eight is sort of what what uh what happened for Saban. There were I don't ever really recall games where where Alabama was getting beat by four touchdowns. It just didn't happen, right? And you look around college football and that happened all the time. And I think honestly, like I think Kalen DeBoer's probably going to do a pretty nice job. At the same time, 50% of the games that he's coached in so far at Washington were one-score games. So um, you know, he's got big shoes to fill. He's going to obviously have more talent at Alabama than he did at Washington. But, you know, there are only so many Steve Spurriers around. There are only so many Urban Myers around. Florida has certainly learned that over the last decade or so. And there's only one Nick Saban. And so that's what Alabama's dealing with right now, is it's not necessarily that DeBoer isn't even going to be great. It's that great is not the is not the benchmark that Saban has set for Alabama. Greatest is what Saban has set as the benchmark for Alabama and I don't think anyone's going to be able to replicate that. So, you think about where the SEC's been having these two behemoths up at the top, Alabama and Georgia for the past few years, I would suspect Alabama's going to take steps back from time to time. And so all of a sudden the SEC has a pathway where Alabama is just not penciled in as the number one team in the country. I mean, I was looking at a stat since I think 2008 Saban has had a team ranked number one in the country every year, except for his first year and his last year. Those are the only two years where he didn't at one point along the way, have a team ranked number one in the country. And uh, I'm not sure we're ever going to see that kind of dominance again. This, this is something where it's like, yeah, I mean, it, We, I think we all look at it and say it's a recruiting apparatus. I think people will even look at it and say, you know, question whether he's even really that great a coach. I think that's kind of ridiculous given the the fact that the dude won with the Browns as a defensive coordinator. But, um, you know, I I think that there's there's just a there's a hole. There is a hole in the SEC, which means there's an opportunity in the SEC, which means the reason we're talking about is Florida has an opportunity to take advantage of that hole in the SEC, we'll see whether Billy Napier and company is able to do that.
0: It wasn't just the turnover on the field year to year. It was the turnover off the field that he seemed to be able to replace. You look back at Florida's latest uh, batch of great teams. Hey, when Dan Mullen took off for Mississippi State that last year, Urban was here. That offense looked quite different the next year, right? They, they've they been able to just – what's been amazing with Saban is they've just been able to not have that one-off year where they miss a beat. Unbelievable run by the Crimson Tide. We've seen many players hit the portal already. I'm assuming some of that will settle down in the coming days, but some key players certainly have already made commitments elsewhere. I saw Isaiah Bond was already committed to Texas, for example, Um, looking – to see some other names probably jump in the, in the coming days, but that's to be expected with any coaching turnover in the transfer portal era. So after Saban decides to retire, you immediately look to a lot of the Saban assistants out there, which there are some notable names out there in college football right now, right? Kirby smart, Lane Kiffin, Sarkeesian at Texas landing, crystal ball, Napier, Locksley key, Huff, McIlwain, all these guys coached under Saban. Not all these guys were discussed for the Alabama job. Just demonstrating the influence of Nick Saban among the head coaching ranks in college football. Uh, I did see a great tweet, though, from David Wonderlick at Gator Country. He said, you know who didn't hire a former Saban assistant? Alabama. Found that to be pretty interesting. Well, I, I see you guys. Florida has hired a few Al, uh, Saban assistants uh, over the last decade here, but the Alabama coaching search it started by making Oregon fans very nervous, very stressed about losing the third coach to the south since 2017. So some Ducks fans were 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 probably on edge for a couple of days, but there was even talk about Dan landing being in Tuscaloosa it turned out to not be the case and he put out a great video announcing that he was staying to the team and the tagline was if you're scared your coach is leaving then come play for us great tagline uh until until kirby takes that falcons job right and landing goes back to georgia i want to get that i come on falcons come through baby come through for us so there was surprisingly little conversation around steve sarkisian which makes me think that he put that to bed pretty early i, I Sarkeesian would have thought sarkisian would have been a serious serious candidate for that i did not think norvell was going to get as much run as he did publicly but Maybe he was getting that much run internally in Tuscaloosa or maybe Jimmy Sexton's his agent. I I don't know. Well, either way, eight years and $80 million uh, were enough to shut that conversation down. Norvell puts out a tweet saying he's happy to stay at Florida state. And finally, or more likely when Jimmy said it was okay, Washington head coach, Caitlin DeBoer emerged and was ultimately named the successor to Nick Saban. And it's going to have one of the biggest challenges we've seen in the modern era of college football, attempting to live up to what Nick Saban built in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yeah. I
1: mean, look, I I think DeBoer is, I think he knows what he's getting into. I certainly think he's being compensated for what he's getting into. But the other thing that's interesting is it's not just the wonder look tweet where he says, guess who didn't go out and hire an Alabama uh, former assistant coach. It's that DeBoer does some things that are differentiated, or at least has done some things that are a little bit outside the box. So bringing in a high-level transfer like Michael Penix to start out, very similar to landing at Oregon, bringing in Bo Nix. But the fact that he was able to get that guy to hit and that he's been able to have offenses, no matter where he's been, that have been successful is the complete opposite. Of Nick Saban, right, who comes into Alabama from the Miami Dolphins as a defensive specialist, and they're winning championships with Greg McElroy and and uh, you know, Blake Sims and, and Jake Coker and all that sort of stuff. But, it's, but it was run and pound, and it was have play action with a game manager quarterback and a defense that was just unbelievable is how he built the program. I think you, if you tried to go back to that well, you're going to struggle. And so I like the fact – I mean, just from a – not not as a Florida fan, but I like the fact that they've gone outside the box. And look, DeBoer might fail, and he might just crash and burn, but you're never going to find out without taking risks. And you need people who are doing things that are differentiated and give you edges. And you no longer have the edge of Nick Saban walking into a room and flashing seven rings and saying, come to Alabama. Apparently Dodge is no longer releasing a charger. So you no longer have that (laughs) as the advantage that, that, that Alabama may have had to
0: do with Alabama football has
1: nothing at all to do with Alabama football. I, I allegedly, um, but you're, you're getting a guy who's like what, 110 and 20 or something in his career. Um, now a lot of that is at lower divisions and things like that, but DeBoer's won a lot. So, um, you know, if, if Florida had been making a coaching change, certainly DeBoer would have been high up on the list for Gator fans in terms of who they wanted to come in. The same names that we all heard would have been the ones who came in. And I think if there's one legacy that Nick Saban has has brought to college football fans, I hope the thing that he that he's brought is that he was not stagnant. He did not sit there and say, "This is my system, and I'm not going to change." When he got ripped by Johnny Manziel they went out and started recruiting different kinds of linebackers when they realized that Jake Coker was good enough to win him a national championship back when he did, but not good enough to win him a national championship with what was coming. They went out and started bringing in guys like Jalen Hurts and guys like Tua, and then they brought in. Lane Kiffin to be the offensive coordinator, regardless of how much, you know, that killed Nick Saban to have Kiffin on his staff. And it was funny because when Kiffin's name was brought up, a lot of what you heard behind the scenes was he burned way too many bridges in Tuscaloosa to be considered for this. At the same time, they didn't just go and say, well, we're going to bring in Kiffin because look, Kiffin is already doing um, is already doing You know, do you need an old Miss imitation? I guess from Lane Kiffin, they decided they didn't need that, and I think that's one of the reasons why Sarkeesian is is probably not there as well. As you look at it, and you say, um, you know, you could always like Sark will be available three years from now if the board doesn't work out. So it's not as though it's a huge risk to go with somebody else. But look, I think if you're Alabama, you got to be realistic. Like, you know, you had Gene Stallings, who was. Who was good but not great? Won some SEC championships, won a national championship, but nothing like Nick Saban. But then you had the Dennis Franchione, you had the um, you know you had the Mike Debose, you had those guys coming in. Again, Alabama would pop up and win an SEC title every once in a while, which seems like. Not a whole lot or seems like that would be significant at the same time compared to Saban. It all pales in comparison. And I think that's sort of where we're at now is that Alabama has a history that is going to make it attractive. But if they make enough mistakes, eventually you'll get to a point where no, none of the kids who they're recruiting. Remember Alabama being this Alabama under Nick Saban, because that's where we're headed with Florida right now. None of the kids who are committing to Florida or any of these SEC schools remember Florida being Florida under Urban Meyer. They were all too young. I think we have been there for some time, Will. Yeah, but it's not that hard to get there, I guess is my point. Mm -hmm. So, um, look, I think obviously a seismic shift. Saban changed the game. I'm interested to see what what DeBoer ends up doing. I actually think it's a good risk for Alabama. But I think it all also depends on expectations. If you expect him to be another Saban and be there for you know 18 years and win five national championships, um, if he does that, then good on him. But I don't think that's a reasonable expectation. I think if DeBoer wins a national championship while he's at Alabama, he's probably met met my expectations. But one national championship in the next five or six years
0: ain't going to be enough for the people in Tuscaloosa. So good luck. What would you say so that I, I said. Two times in the saving era, three or more losses. Well, that last time, Will, it was in 2010. So you're saying 2011 beyond here, they haven't had more than two losses. In a well, season. just look at, just look at so, Ohio
1: State, right? Urban Meyer leaves. Ryan Day is like, he's lost like nine games total in his career there at Ohio state. And people are asking, is he on the hot seat Ridiculous. because he's, yeah. because he's been struggling against, against Jim Harbaugh, who's about to probably get hired into the NFL and just won a national championship. Yeah. So, you know, the reality is, is once those expectations get set, the fans don't get more reasonable. And, and the expectations are still, we know we can win championships at this level. We know we can perform at this level. And so we expect you to get you there. So you think about the churn we've seen at Florida that churn is is just as likely to happen at Alabama, given the amount of money that flows through that place and the influence that some of the boosters have. And, and honestly, if you look at the dysfunction that's happened at Auburn over the past decade or so, it's not like it's that far removed from Alabama in terms, of, in terms of the people there, which really means that Saban, one of the things that he was able to do was get everybody aligned and headed in the same direction. Now, maybe they've realized that's the best way to go, and they'll be able to keep that alignment for DeBoer, but I think that's going to be a big part of what he does. Is he's going to have to come in and make sure that there aren't any rogue actors out there who are undermining what he's doing. You know, he promised 100% access to Sabin. Well, there's some danger in that too, right? Because um, you know, 100% access to Sabin means 100% access to people who had Sabin's ear, and now all of a sudden you've got multiple m- multiple factions going in different directions. There's always a risk when you change. But look, I mean, Alabama's had an awesome run. They've had their time in the sun. It's time for them to come down with the LSU's and and the the Texas A and M's of the world. Have a couple of eight win seasons and experience it. Because um, I'm not going to weep for any Alabama fan for about uh, 30 years um, after this run they've had now. No, I don't
0: don't think I'll weep in in my lifetime. But I I would like to see what reasonable reasonable expectations look like in Alabama. That would be there won't uh, be reasonable expectations. They're going to be completely unreasonable. Yeah, I, I do think this is a great opportunity for DeBoer, obviously, to step into something to keep it rolling. Uh, as a Florida fan, I am concerned. It was nice having Alabama as a, a solid counter, counterweight to what Georgia's doing right now. I'd like Florida to be that counterweight, but we got we got a little work to do to get there. So it will be interesting to see... If Georgia takes even another step forward, what, what how are we feeling about the impact on Georgia with this shift with Alabama? Do do we see an immediate shift upward with them, or hey, it's a twelve team playoffs; they're making the playoffs every year anyway. I mean,
1: I I think that's one of the things that sort of. Um, is at least the silver lining in all this, is that Alabama has been the bulwark that's kept Georgia from just dominating for the past decade. Because, I mean, think about it, the the two-a throw that wins the national mm-hmm. championship mm-hmm. for Alabama prevents Georgia from making it, beating them in the SEC championship this year, knocks them out of the playoff. It gives them the opportunity to embarrass Florida State. Um, you know, all of those things combined without Alabama and the sec Georgia is essentially having a run like Nick Saban had, you know, 10, 15 years ago, where just there's nobody who can stop them um, with a 12 team playoff. Well, now they're going to have to play a real schedule, right? You don't get to play a schedule like they played this year. And then, you know, if they'd have won that sec championship game, they would have only had to win two games essentially in the sec championship to get into the, to get, you know, to win the national championship. Now they'll have to play a real schedule, and I think, you know, one, they have a real SEC schedule next year, given given uh, what they had this year, but also when you get into that 12-team playoff, I mean, maybe you get the bye, but you're still going to have to win multiple games to get there. There's always an opportunity for people to upset you, um, and, and I think we'll see that a little bit going forward. I, I think there's going to be some variance in those top 12 games that we haven't necessarily seen before, because, you know, you think about it, like a Pac-12 team that gets in maybe isn't that great just because the Pac-12 is down, but... They end up in a fourteen playoff. We saw that with TCU a couple of years ago, right? They get in, they beat Michigan. I mean, they deserve to be there. They beat Michigan, but then came up against the Georgia buzzsaw and just got absolutely, absolutely demolished. Same thing for Michigan a couple of years ago. Go through a Big Ten. Big Ten's kind of down and face come and face uh Georgia and just absolutely get destroyed a bunch of teams like Notre Dame and Washington and and uh even Clemson once when they had Kelly Bryant came up against the SCC buzz saw and lost there as well um, I think there will be some opportunities for some of these teams who are ranked you know eighth ninth tenth teams like LSU who've given Alabama a run in this entire landscape um are going to be able to do the same thing for Georgia because there's it's not just going to be hey you got through the SEC you have to face these guys again it's going to be they're on the other side of the bracket if if you get all the way through so if the SEC is really the best conference then and I do look forward to the day that we have a Final Four of just SEC teams. With this twelve-team playoff, because it's going to happen, you're gonna end up with a final four because they're gonna try to keep them on opposite sides of the bracket so they don't have to play each other every year, and so or you know in the playoff and knock each other out. We're gonna get a final four SEC SEC tournament at some point, and I'm gonna enjoy every minute of it when it happens.
0: Well, we do have the rest of the offseason to break this down, but monumental news in college football this this uh, week with Nick Saban stepping down at Alabama, heading toward retirement. Well, let's do. Let's wrap up here with some quick hits. Let's try to do five to ten seconds on each topic here. We're going to start with the recent, recent portal additions. Hupp powered linebacker out of Jacksonville, went to South Carolina, got away last year. Got him this year, an orange and or blue. Transfers from South Carolina into Florida, much-needed position at linebacker.
1: Yeah, well, especially
0: with Nunnery Leaving recently
1: and some of the and Scooby Williams as well. Um, you know, Florida needs linebackers. They've certainly prioritized defense when it comes to the transfer portal, at least recently. So um good to see a highly skilled linebacker coming in, but you know, his PFF score last year, overall 58.8, was below average. Granted, as a true freshman, but they're going to need him to pop forward. Now, you know, Scooby Williams was down in the 40s, so you're getting an upgrade from Howard or from Williams to Howard. And so, uh, you know, hopefully that continues and he can even up his play from there.
0: George Gums comes in from Northern Illinois. NIU was a tight end his first two seasons, switched to defensive end. 12 games, he had six and a half tackles for loss, three and a half sacks.
1: Yeah, this is a human meal replacement. Obviously um, again, PFF at 61. So well below human meal in terms of overall rating, but Florida needed an edge. They need depth there. I think they're going to be looking for guys like TJ Searcy to step up there at the edge position. Certainly justice Boone as well. They're going to be expecting to get some pass rush from him as well. So gums is probably more of a depth piece, but uh, you know, look, they needed to replace a guy at that position. They were short on edge rushers last year and with human meal leaving certainly short on them as well this year.
0: Another defensive player capable of stepping in giving some immediate playing time DJ Douglas comes in from Tulane was a Bama walk-on productive player for the green wave the last couple seasons
1: yeah, based on PFF rankings, above average play at the safety position. So the only guy who was above average for Florida last year was uh, Jordan Castell. So you put Castell with Douglas back there at the safety position. You've now got two above average safeties. Certainly a positive thing for Florida, considering that you need at least above average safety and corner play in order to be successful in the SEC and really have a even a top 50 defense. Top 20 defense, you need guys who are elite players. So hopefully Douglas can can adapt into one or can develop into one of those guys. But uh, just getting above average play at both of those positions would be a
0: major deal for Florida. I know you mentioned a couple of these names with a few of the guys leaving in the portal. Richie Leonard to Florida State, Will, this should be illegal. I think we should all uh, lock in an agreement that anyone that wears orange and blue should never go to Florida State, should never go to Georgia, should never go to Miami, and maybe let's tack on Tennessee for good measure. I can live with an LSU transfer, don't love it. I can live with it, but Florida State, come on, man. Orange and blue over to Florida State, that's tough. I, I know he had some back and forth with the fans on Twitter this weekend. Uh, uh, Richie, that's not an argument you're going to win, man. Just just leave that one alone. Just leave that one alone. Go do your thing. <laughs> Go play Paul at FSU. But I really think that I, I'm tired of these rivals, the, the, the rival switching. will. I can't take it. It's tough.
1: Yeah, I mean, so slightly above average play for Richie Leonard last year played 785 or 775 snaps though so the most snaps on the offensive line for the Gators um, you were hoping he'd come in be a stable part of you know continuity on the offensive line we're always talking about and be able to provide that. The Florida State transfer you know I, I think actually this is maybe where some of the juice is going to come from now when it comes to the rivalries so one of the things that really killed college basketball is you know you don't have the Grant Hills at Duke anymore who were there for four years. You're not going to have anybody Anywhere for four years now at the transfer portal. So perhaps one of the things that's going to maintain the rivalries beyond just the four years of hating the hating the opposition that you play for them and you eventually have to overcome them is going to be that you've got guys like Trevor Etienne transferring to Georgia. You've got guys like Richie Leonard transferring to Florida State. There's going to be some bad blood between the organizations when that sort of stuff happens. So as long as Florida's able to hold their own and bring guys in from some of those SEC schools as well, then it won't be a problem. Um, again, is this a guy who's like a giant upgrade for Florida state? I don't know. I think he's a solid player. I'd be surprised if he does, if he ends up. You know, if he ends up playing eight, nine years in the NFL, I can see him as an undrafted free agent. If he plays well next year, maybe he ends up on the back end of the draft. But, uh, you know, certainly the problem with him leaving is, is that Florida has to replace him now, right? And and that's the thing is if he was above average last year, you got to replace him with somebody who's above average to get the same level of play. And considering all the other guys on the offensive line, um, you know, you want to keep the guys who are at least playing at an average level above.
0: Yeah. we prefer him coming back to play for us and not going to play for Florida state. Right. I think that's yeah. pretty clear. I think that's pretty clear, but uh new day and age is what it is. I'll stop talking about being on uh, kids, being on my lawn. I'll, I'll move well, on. Go
1: pull a bunch of guys from Alabama and Georgia and we'll, we'll, luck. I don't All want right?
0: Georgia I mean, guys. Let, let's make it consistent. I don't want any bulldogs, Knowles, canes vols we don't need any of those down in florida either let's just be consistent both ways on that no player should ever wear both of those uniforms That's, i just don't care it's going to that be my old man state. take i'm gonna die on that hill i, I i'm gonna die on that hill so i just don't care right. as
1: long as florida has net upgrades right so <laughs> if richie leonard goes to florida state who can we yank from florida state who is better than richie leonard and as long as there's a net upgrade i'm cool with it well, it's just I, the way it is these I'll days consistent like i'm both I'm, ways I'm, well, I don't want you can, don't you can, take you, ours.
0: We won't take yours. Well, and I'm
1: being consistent both ways, too, because I'm saying I don't care where Leonard goes other than when he's on Florida State. I'm obviously going to root against him. And, you know, it's it, at this point, it, is, it just is what it is. So let's win the game, Any right? Same about, thing. Like anywhere I, about
0: four schools, anywhere about four schools, Well, I'm not asking right. much. I'm not asking much here. All right, I get no. what you're saying. Scooby and Jaden Hill, you mentioned Scooby AM. Jaden Hill is joining them over at AM.
1: Yeah, okay. Um Scooby well below average last year. They put him in some tough situations, but the the idea that, you know, as a junior with 450 or Richard sophomore with 455 snaps, you know, his PFF ranking was 42.1. The average for linebackers is up in the 60s. So, really poor play from Scooby overall last year. Um Jaden Hill was below average at the corner position. Good on run defense, pretty good on pass rush poor when it came to coverage skills. I think most people would say that passes the eye test in terms of what they saw. Um, You know, I said this a few weeks ago when, when he decided to enter the portal is, you know, who like is Jaden Hill part of a championship starting unit? I think that's what you got to start asking about when guys transfer. If you get all upset, go, that guy was a solid depth piece. It's like, all right, but was he part of a championship roster? And that's, that's how I'm going to evaluate all of these things. So I think Jaden Hill is a pretty good player. I think he can bring value to a team. I don't know that he's a starting corner or a starting um, slot corner in on a championship-level SEC team, and he may prove me wrong. In some ways, I hope he proves me wrong because I hope he does really, really well. But um, as long as he's not playing Florida, but uh, but thus far we haven't seen. We haven't seen that same thing for Scooby. I, I don't think that based on what he's shown us on the field so far, that he's a starting linebacker for a championship level team. And so wish him well, and hopefully Florida can bring in somebody who's, who's already performed better and certainly has the potential to perform better as well.
0: Three other starters from last season, Mizuka to Nebraska, Kimber to Penn state, Mitchell to Arkansas, Miguel Mitchell goes over to Arkansas, Mizuka Well, that was the guy I was very excited about in the transfer portal last year. Didn't quite live up to the hype, in my opinion. Would have liked to seen him back for another year, though, uh, in, to see how he develops. I, I still think he has potential going to Nebraska.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, so his PFF rating was 69. He was above average. He wasn't as good as he was at Baylor the year before. But, again, new scheme. Um, you know, he was injured a lot during, mm. during spring and fall. Uh, then there was sort of a controversy where he announced that he was transferring and then decided to stay. So obviously there was a little bit of uh, a little bit of consternation going on there as well. Um, got, got suspended for the fight against Tennessee, which at least was an entertaining moment for all of us as we were, as we were watching that at the end. Um, so look, Nebraska, that's not one of your four schools. So we should be fine with it. Wish him well. and And look, we're going to have continuity concerns on the offensive line this year certainly but uh um you know i he is a guy who could have been a starter on an sec level team so that's somebody that you'd like to have back and like to see what he could develop over time
0: Mandy nunnery you also mentioned heading in the portal as well we'll move on ron roberts brought in hired on the staff uh former uh baylor assistant coach been all around college football he's with uh he's he was with auburn last year uh I would say he was. I think I believe he was influential in Patrick Tony's career. I, he worked with Napier at Louisiana as well. So this is a guy, longtime assistant in college football, has had some notable stops along the way. Will another uh, addition here this offseason to Napier's defensive staff?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. You could read into this what um, what what you believe, right? I think there are people who are going to look at this and they're going to go, this is an admission that Austin Armstrong was not ready to take the reins of the defense. I think there are other people who will say, when you get an opportunity to bring in a guy like Roberts who has experience with this sort of system, that's not the kind of guy that you would pass up. And given that Billy Napier needs to win games this year, and given that certainly the moves that they've made have less to do with recruiting and more to do with development. um, I think Ron Roberts makes a lot of sense in that respect. He did a great job at multiple stops. When he was at Baylor, he did a good job with the defense. When he was at um, Louisiana, he did a good job with the defense there. Certainly was a mentor to Patrick Tony, but was also a security blanket for Billy Napier as he was growing into that head coaching role there at, at Louisiana. So, um, look, I, I think whenever you can add a guy with this kind of experience, especially for a team that had so many issues with – readiness, preparation, mechanics, um, you know, just the day-to-day stuff. I think it's probably a very solid ad. And you suspect or I suspect that you know that there was the blessing of Austin Armstrong in terms of bringing him in, but it does mean you have another strong voice in the room, right? You got a guy who's been a defensive coordinator and the sole defensive voice for years now. And he's coming in, and he's not going to be that sole voice. So that'll be the question, is how can he and Armstrong coexist? How can they work together? And how can they utilize the skills that Roberts brings while still allowing Armstrong to be the independent defensive coordinator that he needs to be and he needs to grow into to make sure that there's a coherent voice and a coherent message and a coherent vision being communicated to the defensive players? Can they do that? I think it's possible will they do that? I think we'll see. You know, we said all last year, the defense can't possibly be worse. And then it was. And so, you know, I, I'm I've learned my lesson. I'm not going to say that again we'll this year, anymore. but, but <laughs> what I'm going to say is that the dysfunction that must, I mean, the fact that they, that Spencer goes to, goes to a and and Corey Raymond, that those guys were gone right away after the season that they didn't even wait until the, the early signing day. Um, Suggests that there was some consternation within the staff, and so if everything's a little bit more copacetic, then hopefully, uh, hopefully that'll lead to better results on the field.
0: Quarterback Jack Miller, not totally unexpected here, no longer with the team. Uh, quarterback room with DJ Lackway coming in suddenly crowded. Miller really only got one opportunity, uh, transfer from Ohio State, got one opportunity to start for the Gators, and that was in that Las Vegas Bowl against Oregon State not the best opportunity for miller but it just it never seemed like the timing was going to line up with him so not terribly surprising that he's not with the program yeah i mean it was pretty obvious from the start
1: that that miller was was not the guy who we expected to be the starter that if he was going to be the starter that was probably going to be a problem given his high school profile given what he had done at ohio state and uh and given what we saw during the spring games there just wasn't really a development um pathway that made you confident that he was going to be a big time starter in the SEC. And then, like you mentioned, the game that he got into, not necessarily fair at the same time. Um, <laughs> at, at the same time, you got to perform when you get an opportunity. He got the opportunity. He wasn't able to perform, missed some throws in that particular game. And so, uh, you know, I think obviously we don't see what happens in the actual practices nearly as much as we'd like to at the same time. I think the fact that he really got surpassed by, um, um, you know, Kitna, uh, by Jalen Kitna, and then the fact that he got surpassed by um, by Max Brown suggests that there just wasn't going to be a spot for him, right? And so, uh, you know, Florida's already gone out and found a guy in the portal who's going to come in. Um, I I didn't see his name earlier, but I saw it flash across my timeline that Florida's got another quarterback coming in. And uh, Uh, is it Clay Millen? Glenn yeah. Millen, so from Colorado State. So they yeah. got him coming in. And uh yeah, yeah, I, I think I don't know a whole lot about Millen, but um, you know, wish Jack Miller well. But uh, certainly um I would suspect that the uh the, the performance in practice wasn't there. And so there's a reason why he's looking for a, a different place to stay.
0: Last one out of this uh last minute here, because we're recording Sunday evening. Uh, but class of 2025 wide receiver Josiah Abdullah commits to the Gators. A lot of breakaways in that that huddle footage. Of course, you want to see that from guys committed to the University of Florida, will especially guys playing wide receiver. But a lot of breakaways, a lot of good action on short routes. Runs a lot of slants in that offense. First wide receiver pickup for the the Gators here in the class of twenty twenty five. Will.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, he's a three star guy. Um, certainly, a lot of the a lot of the uh, um, the film that you see suggests that he might be somebody who rises up the boards. I think generally, when Florida has brought in wide receivers so far, they've been pretty successful under Billy Napier. Um, you know, We saw, obviously, Trey Wilson showed out this year, um, the expectation. And Ricky Pearsall was somebody who was brought in as a transfer. Um, those guys have, have delivered, and so the question is going to be, can they get more delivery from guys like Mizell, guys like Andy Jean, continue to get the delivery from some of the new guys that they brought in in this recruiting class and then supplementing those guys with the 2025 class. You evaluate a class, I say this all the time, you evaluate it based on the holistic, the entire body of work in a class. You need guys like this to deliver in a recruiting class in order for your program to be successful Um, you also need five stars to deliver in order to make your recruiting class successful. So, you know, we see a three-star commit and everybody goes, oh, well, you know, it's just a three-star. No, 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 no. Like, you know, think about the Golden State Warriors. They get get Klay Thompson, they get Steph Curry there in the first round. They get Draymond Green in the second round. That's what makes that team a championship team. Now they'd be a good team if they had Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, but they became a great team when ironically, um when ironically Draymond Green came in for Gator David Lee, and that's when they became the Warriors. And you got to hit on those guys in the second round of the NBA to be successful, and you got to hit on those guys in the 3, 4, 500 range in order to be successful in college football. There's only a couple of programs that have five-star stacked after five-star stacked after five-star, and even the Alabamas of the world end up with Mac Jones coming in as a three-star quarterback and showing out with an offense. It's just fantastic. So, look, this guy – you hope he can be a successful part of the program moving forward. Certainly, like you mentioned, his huddle statistics or his huddle film looks like he brings some unique skills to the fore. And given the evaluation of the staff so far, excited to see what he can do.
0: We were calling it quick hits. We'll go with semi-quick, <laughs> semi-quick hits.
1: Yeah, nobody could shut me up. We we should we should yeah, have known we'll better. We'll
0: do some work. It's early in the off season. First offseason episode, technically, right? After college football is over. So we'll we'll work on that. We'll work on that. Uh, Will, back to the magazine real quick If anyone wants to reach out to you with any questions Or more uh, wants more information for the advertising Where do they reach you?
1: Yep. So will at read We have a media kit. We'll send you with pricing, with numbers, all that sort of stuff. Um, So you can at least see what you're, what you're buying into. Uh, But a big part of it is buying into this vision, right? The vision of having 65 preseason magazines that are out there with 65 or 70 pages for every single program. And, you know, five years from now, that's where we want to be. We want to have this be our thing, our brand, have it out there and, and you all can be a big part of it. And so we appreciate the support. And certainly if you have questions, send them my way.
0: Yeah, and feel free on Twitter to either DM Will or myself at any point, and uh, we'll get back to you. Uh, like I said, first episode of the offseason, Will, Will, it's uh, it's weird. It's weird that the season's finally over, but here we are heading full steam ahead to spring practice. First, we got signing day here in February to, to finish off this class, so that's coming up here in a few weeks. But other than that, full speed ahead to, towards spring practice. Looking forward to being with y'all all off season. Will and I will still be releasing episodes every single week here on YouTube and wherever you can get your podcasts. Uh, for Will Miles, I'm Nick Knudsen. Have a great week, everybody, and go Gators.
1: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction. Or you can go to patreon.com slash read and reaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anything over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.